0: Exclusive Books Homebrew is a celebration of the diversity that is local writing, covering fresh perspectives on history, sharing never-told-before-personal stories, challenging established views, and excavating the trough of political policy. Exclusive Books Homebrew, not the same old story. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by advocacy journalist and poet Lerato Sibanda.
1: Hustling Happiness and a Blow Up Doll Named Percy is an engaging and hip guide to success and contentment by Dale Heffer. It lets us in on the hits and misses of her rise to being 2010 South African Businesswoman of the Year and a pioneer in the creative sectors of advertising, marketing, and media and she does so with panache and many giggles in between. From having a front row seat to a former deputy president's naked knees to meditating with Henry Kele, this book is packed with anecdotes that will leave you both charged and changed. I'm so amped, Dale, to have you on Homebrew today. I've been waiting to meet you. But first, let's read an excerpt from your book.
2: Oh, thanks so much for those kind words, Loretta. It's lovely to, to be on the show. And thank you, too, for the opportunity of reading. I must say, it's been tough to find a three minute extract. I can
1: imagine.
2: <laughs> but I thought what I'd do is take an extract out of the last chapter, which is about love. It's titled, Do I Love You and Other Musings About Love and Virtue. And then I'll jump just to a section in the middle of this chapter. Here it goes. When she was little, my daughter once asked me, Mom, what color is the wind? I was stumped. I feel the same way when considering love in its many forms. To me, love is like a catchphrase for affection with immeasurable categories, divisions, subdivisions, and anitures. An algorithm that not even Zuckerberg himself could create with the gargantuan amount of information at his fingertips, stolen or otherwise. To complicate things a bit more, loving is a gerund. A gerund is not another appalling vegetable that vegans pretend to love, but the way of describing something that is both a noun and a verb. And then there is the further complication that feelings of deep affection are not limited to how people feel about one another. We love things too, and places, and emotions, and that strong emotional attachment can be for something good or bad. Good luck with that algorithm, mom. I thought I would focus on the verb aspect of love between people. Love your fellow man. It's the relentless plea of religions and their leaders, philosophers, philanthropists, and those people who write the quotes on social media with sunsets in the background. It's a huge ask to love randomly when even loving our loved ones can be a challenge. Frankly, I would wave my neighbors off with a dancing band if they chose to move and took their yapping dogs with them. Love my neighbors? Nah. I did experience love of a random fellow human once, and it was admittedly a good sensation. I had been drinking lots of tequilas with some friends at a haunt in Norwood. At some stage, I clearly decided a quick nap was in order. Translate that as passed out in a corner. When I came to, it took me a while to work out where I was. I had nothing. My friends in my bag with my phone and my wallet were nowhere to be seen. I saw no other option but to walk home. It was about 2 a.m. and I started the long stagger in what I thought was vaguely the direction of my house. It was scary and I was feeling very sorry for myself. for verdritt is the way Afrikaans people perfectly encapsulate this booze-induced self-pity. For two hours in the pitch dark, I stumbled down unfamiliar roads, through fields, even crossing a stream at one stage. And all the while I was sobbing, that weeping that comes from the very bottom of your soul. Eventually, I recognized where I was. I was approaching an intersection on Oxford Road not far from my home. At this intersection was a man preparing to sell his pile of Sunday Times newspapers. It was after 4 a.m. by now. He must have been alarmed to see a tall, sobbing, disheveled specter approaching him. I walked straight up to him with my arms outstretched. I felt I had never been happier to see another human. It was love at first sight for me. He took me in his arms and held me as I sobbed and sobbed. Eventually, I calmed down and managed to walk the block to my house. I didn't even know his name, but I think about him often, and that feeling of relief I got from his selfless and unquestioning comfort of me. If only we could all feel that compassion for one another, how peaceful the world would be.
1: When I read that part, the first thing that came to me was, I wonder what the poor man was thinking. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I'm so
2: grateful to him and I wish I could find him again all these years later and buy at least 10 Sunday
1: Times from him. <laughs> but that's the beauty of us other Africans, that even as much as we are different from different backgrounds, by that spirit of Ubu undu and that compassion, absolutely always binds us together yes and
2: i think i talk about that a lot in my book and how we all have to pull together as south africans and do our
1: thing properly and kindly and nicely so let's start with the main title first dale hustling happiness and a blow up doll named percy i mean omg what a title this is i mean if it wasn't for the subtitle I would have easily thought that this is plain fiction or even erotica. Yes. (laughs) Where where did you dream up such a curious title? Tell us about it.
2: Well, Percy has always been uh, someone. Do you call a blow up doll someone? Percy has always been something in my life. Who's um, played a, a big role. He, He almost uh, represents uh, the need to constantly think out of the box and re-engineer yourself. And um, I'll very briefly tell you the story of Percy, if you like. Please do. Okay. Many years ago, when I first started my business, an advertising agency called Chili Bush, it was back in the day before the internet was a thing. So back then, we still had to drive around and deliver to the Publications where we were placing an advert, something called lithopositives positives or negatives. You'd probably be way too young to remember. But this saw me driving around the city a lot and my little Toyota hurtling around the place. At that stage, it was just me and my business. But what happened was I was constantly attacked at the robots. You know, someone would break my window and grab my cell, or break my window and try and get my phone. And it was starting to hamper my ability to actually deliver. Um, on my business. So I thought, well, I can, I I can't afford a security guard. I can't afford a driver. It's just me. I don't want to give up my business. So I thought the obvious solution was to go to the sex store and buy the biggest blow up doll I could find. The lady behind the counter looked at me very skeptically. I don't think she believed me when I said it was for security purposes. So I bought him and uh, duly named him Percy.
1: I blew him up.
2: I put a cap on him and a t-shirt and I strapped him into my passenger seat And whenever I traveled, I had Percy at my side. And sometimes when we stopped at lights, I'd even sneakily lean over and squeeze his little legs so he'd bob around like that as though he was an animated conversation. Um, And it worked. I think some people at the lights, when we pulled up, got a fright because um, they saw his big round mouth like this. (laughs) (laughs) So Percy was just a a good example of how one, especially as a woman uh, operating in business on her own, has to try and think out of the box to find the solutions and he worked for me. So he's become
1: a metaphor for making a plan. Oh, wow. What a creative solution, right? <laughs> so now let's continue on to your book cover. I think this book cover deserves a trophy of its own. When I first looked at it, it conjured up a sort of vintage 1960s, 70s kind of poster ambience. Was this the intent? And Since you come from an advertising background, I can imagine that you were very hands-on. Were you?
2: Well, in fact, I'd like to take credit for the cover, but I have to give full acknowledgement to my publisher, Jonathan Ball. Okay. Um, Their team came up with it, but as soon as I saw it, I thought this is spot on and I I loved it. So the car, funny enough, does remind me of a car my family used to have 100 years ago in Zimbabwe, so that was was quite appropriate. So I was very happy with the cover. I, I do like it a lot.
1: I like it too. Thank you. So now the premise of some of your motivation, some of the advice that you convey, that you relay in the book, you took from the Alcoholic Anonymous 12-step recovery program. What urged you to use these steps as a springboard to discuss business and success?
2: There's actually two main sources of inspiration in the book, other than the wonderful cast of characters and family and animals that I draw. And and that's the Stoic philosophers um, are the first inspiring people that I refer to, but also Alcoholics Anonymous. I realized that I was just drinking way too much and I needed to stop. And so I took myself off to the AA and I discovered these fantastic 12 steps that alcoholics work, that they work off at the AA. And I found them so inspirational that they could be applied not only to people suffering from alcohol, but they could be applied to any walk of life. They're absolutely relevant to anyone whether alcoholic or not. And so I use them as a guide to show how they help me, not only in stopping drinking, but also in other areas, business, personal life generally. And the AA is such a remarkable institution. I mean, it's, it makes something like Apple look like a school tuck shop. You know, it's, it's enormous oh, wow. and it's well run and there's no salaries. And um, I just found it very inspirational. And I managed to extract, I think I managed to extract some excellent learnings from the 12 steps and Hopefully, I've shared some nice insights from them.
1: You definitely have. Not many people can boast of having meditated <laughs> with the late Henry Gailey. Yes, I mean the man was so tall. I can't even imagine him sitting on the floor on his buttocks, cross-legged. <laughs> So, how was that experience? And please do tell me what was he wearing for that meditation session?
2: <laughs> hey, it's not a, it's not an erotica book, remember? <laughs> yes, it's not. <nice. laughs> well, he was the most remarkable man, and as beautiful in real life as he was on the screen. I was working on film crews back then, and I was working on a movie, and um, I was just the runner. Yeah, you know, I was fresh out of university, trying to find my way. And the movie was being shot in Margate on the South Coast. And one of my jobs was to fetch the actors from the airport in Durban and drive them to the the shoot. And Henry was one of the actors in the, in the movie. And so we obviously got to spend, he was a captive audience and we got to spend a lot of time in the car together. And we used to do things like practice these lines together and talk. And we became friendly. I was quite fit at that stage. So, I mean, he used to go down and train on the beach and do somersaults and running and all sorts Ooh. of things. And I would sort of stagger along behind him trying to keep up. But the one night, one of the other actors in the movie said he was having a little meditation session in his room that night. And why didn't we go along? So, Henry and I, who sort of were always hanging out together, thought, why not? And we did. We sat cross-legged on the floor in this other actor's room. I can't remember what Henry was wearing, but he looked gorgeous. I can can vouch for that, that remarkable presence he has. And so, the meditation session started. And after about a minute or so, I thought, no, this isn't for me. And um, I opened my eyes and... Definitely Henry was in this, his eyes were open too. And he winked at me and he did a little thing with his head said, let's get out of here. So the two of us got out and crept out and went to the bar and had a drink, which was a far more practical idea, but he was (laughs) a wonderful man. Um, I've still got photographs of me and him, which I cherish. He was lots of fun to be around. And um, I remember another story, which I actually didn't mention in the book. Once I was taking him back to the airport uh-huh. and at Fort then we stopped at the KFC and there were a lot of people and it happened to be Brenda Fassi who oh, was there with her entourage. For real? So there I was with Henry Chele, Brenda Fassi. I think I was the only white person in the whole place and absolutely loved it. So That is
1: amazing. So oh, Henry wow. was
2: very special. I was sad to hear that he passed on.
1: So, You know, I found it so humbling that even after having graduated, having a diploma, having this title that, okay, I've graduated in this discipline. But you were so humble enough to start from the bottom. I mean, there's a point before you got to the point of starting your own business. You worked as an ice cream vendor. You were even a night cleaner at a bank at a point. I mean, tell me, do you think that if you were a graduate, fresh, young graduate in 2021, do you think you would still take the same route to building up your career, building up your expertise, and starting a business? It. I think,
2: sadly, everything has changed because of the internet. You know, back then, the internet wasn't an option. You actually had to get out there and experience stuff for yourself. You couldn't get a job straight out of university online, doing whatever the youngsters do online these days. And I was on a mission. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just realized I had to try absolutely everything and anything. I traveled. I lived in London for a while, and that's where I was working as a night cleaner in an enormous bank and was an ice cream vendor. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back here, trying to hawk stuff on the side of the road, you know, selling oh, wow. my radios, I found a factory in KZN that made these uh, ghetto blasters, as they called them. So I'd go down there and buy some and then sell them on the road. But I, I was always exploring. I knew deep down that I had to have my own business. And um, I kept on trying any manner of different things just to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm very glad that it happened back then. I think if I'd graduated more recently, I would have still done a lot of exploring, but it wouldn't have been as hands-on as it was back then with the opportunity to try so many things that sadly the youngsters are denied these days. So Mm -hmm. um, I think I would have still aspired to have my own business, but I think it would have been a much more boring journey to get there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think so so
1: too. Um, I mean, in this new era... You know, it's very hard for especially the so-called born frees and millennials to get out of their shell and be willing, even with a degree, to start from the bottom.
2: I have to agree with you. There's um, there's a strange expectation that things have to be served up for them these days.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know I'm
2: generalizing. There's obviously the exception. But I agree with you. There's not the kind of same can-do attitude that we had to have back in the day. You had to get by. There's none of this just, I mean, my parents kicked me out of the house, you know, it was just presumed I couldn't carry on living with mom and dad. I had to get out there and, and make my way. And I think a lot of that ambition has been taken away from the younger people. Sadly, they've lost the urge.
1: Without giving too much away from this wonderful book, there are two ideologies that you present that really stuck with me. The first one, don't be like
2: the otters. All, all the otters. All all
1: yes. And two, finding your inner voyeur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which one of the two resonates with you deepest, even in this moment as we are talking, and why?
2: I think it has to be the first one about don't be like all the otters. And I opened the book with that story about how when I was at university, I saw a poster on a wall with a number of black and white otters on it, except for one otter who was dressed in a multicolored outfit and was holding a multicolored umbrella. And the payoff line was, don't be like all the otters. And I realized it was a play on don't be like the others. And so what I did is I I started going madly off course, deliberately trying not to be like all the otters or all the others. (laughs) And this led me to, to drinking too much, to partying too much, to trying to be someone that I wasn't. And the insight from that was I had to learn to discover who I truly was and get to know that person as opposed to just being deliberately different on person because I didn't want to be like all the otters. So I think that was the best insight for me from the book. And that's, I think, why I opened with it because that's what started my whole journey to find out who I actually am And to find out how I can come to love myself and like myself and therefore get to love and like other people without constantly trying to live up to other people's expectations. So the second one was also important, but that's just more about a, a practical suggestion about how to calm down and how to separate yourselves from the craziness of your mind by becoming a voyeur of your own thoughts. Like mm-hmm. looking through a peephole of your of your own mind and just settling the tide of crazy thoughts. So that one was also a profound insight for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I really love how you expressed all the insights, all the ideas, all the philosophies. You know, with very unique jargon and terms that you made up, which are very easy to understand and very engaging as well, and very funny. Thank you.
2: I'm I'm glad you found it funny. That was my main intention, to give people a good laugh and to hopefully learn a couple of things along the way.
1: Dale's voice and soul is vividly present in this book and in the guidelines she paints. It is a generous offering, generous with love, generous with life and much laughter, which we're all too happy to lap up in this global hour. Thank you guys for listening, in, and thank you, Dale, for joining us. Thanks for having
2: me, Loretta. It's been good fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Homebrew. Do you have a question you'd like to ask our Homebrew authors? Send us your question, and you could win a 200-rand exclusive books voucher if yours gets chosen. WhatsApp a voice note to 079-664-0465, that's 079-664-0465, or email social media at exclusivebooks.co.za. To find out who our upcoming authors are, just follow Exclusive Books on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This Homebrew podcast was produced by Jonathan Anser, Dan Dews, and Lerato Sebanda for Exclusive Books. Books available in-store and online at exclusivebooks.co.za. Homebrew, not the same old story.